Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from thenextreel.com. Of course, we're talking about Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man, the film that kicked off this, this whole universe and all of its craziness. Joining me on the show today is another guest from The Next Reel. It is Steve Sarmento. Hey, Steve. Hey, Andy. It is great to be part of this new exciting project. Well, I guess new for me, <laughs> not for you. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad and happy to be part of the uh, Minute podcast. Uh, I had a great time when we did the Mad Max right. movie Minute over there that we were uh, collaborators on that one. So I'm, I'm thrilled to be a guest. <laughs> yes, for Thunderdome. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to be a guest here to talk with you about uh, this one. It has been a long time since I've seen this one because there's just so much in the Marvel universe, but it's a great opportunity to go back and get back to the roots of the the franchise. So thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you. We are, of course, talking about minute 42 of Iron Man on today's show. The minute starts with Tony wandering through the deserts of Afghanistan, lost and alone. And it ends with Rhodey embracing his old friend. This is the, I guess you could say, we're, we're about at the point that's kind of the, the end of the whole first act. Tony has escaped, and this is the point where rescue has finally shown its uh, lovely face in the form of Rhodey. So I was surprised that it's this far into the movie because, as you say, it is the end of Act 1, and we're nearly, what, halfway through this film? I mean, first act is a little over two hours. So, uh, yeah. Okay. I was just thinking, usually, does first act usually take this much of the, you know, does it take us to nearly the halfway point in a a film? If you look at a two hour film, the first act is generally around half an hour. The second act is generally around an hour. And then the third act is around a half hour. At least that that would be kind of the ideal split if if it's broken up that way. Um, it's never a perfect science, as we know. Sure. And so sure. I think the fact that uh, this one had a, had some backstory setting up a lot of stuff with who Tony is, plus then this whole element in Afghanistan, it just gave us uh, a lot more stuff to set up. So, you know, I, I, 42 minutes is a little a little long for it, but I think I think it ends up being OK. No, it, it, it the movie feels well paced. To me, just looking at it as far as what minute I'm in, I thought, wow, I didn't think it took us that far in. I thought maybe we we got through it. But as you said, there is a lot to get through, a lot to set up because we're starting the Iron Man franchise. We're, we see that we're you know, laying the foundation for a much larger universe. Yeah, I just I usually think of pacing and we get through these things more. But as length of film has increased. I think the average now is we're getting well over two hours and audiences are are comfortable with that. And it gives us that time to really get into character and, and set things up. So yeah, right, right. Absolutely. This moment starts with Tony wandering through uh, the desert. Uh, it's uh, we, we talked about it in the last minute. It's kind of this this moment that you see in movies where our hero is is kind of lost and alone in a desert and just kind of stumbling around and and uh, you know I said it, it's kind of like what you see in Vacation when Clark Griswold gets lost in the desert it's the same yes. sort of thing you know they've got their shirt <laughs> over their head and just stumbling <laughs> through the sand it feels very much that way and it it makes me laugh and uh, but it also makes me wonder what was Tony did Tony think any farther past his actually just using his suit to escape 
from the cave and get away from the uh, Ten Rings terrorists. Or, or was that all he had? Had he thought of anything beyond that point? Because like once he's here, I'm like, this probably wasn't that great of a plan because he's either going to die in the desert <laughs> or yeah. he didn't get that far in his suit. And if anyone was still alive uh, from his escape, they're going to be able to have seen his trajectory and, and inevitably they're going to have vehicles and are probably going to be able to get over to where he is a lot quicker than he's able to escape. That's a really interesting question because as I went back and rewatched everything leading up to this, his whole escape, I thought, well, is, is blasting off really plan B was his, was, was plan A just go out and destroy everything. And then, okay, then he could maybe, you know, walk a little ways and then, you know, maybe in a more, you know, planned attempt to like actually launch out. But what happens is he's, he's been shot. The, the suit, you know, we see the one leg, you know, mechanism gives out. He's surrounded by flames. I don't know if that's what his plan was or knowing Tony, did he really have a plan? And it seemed like it was the, Oh no, I'm surrounded. I got to get out of here. I've got this, you know, sort of fail safe to get me out of here. So I, yeah, I don't know what his plan really was. If it was, to launch in that way or if that was his last resort because yeah putting yourself in the middle of the desert is not necessarily the best escape plan or was tony you know did he have a you know change of heart as we see and was it really more about destroying those weapons and then if he can escape great but ultimately his primary goal was perhaps to destroy the weapons you know with his name on it that have fallen into the hands of you know the bad guys and was that his primarily primary function knowing that you know he's feeling lucky to be alive if he one last effort to to do something good and if he can survive escaping because to me that's one of the most comic book moments of okay tony at i don't know what his altitude is then plummeting (laughs) in this iron suit into sand i thought there's no way there's no way. But, well, we, you know, we even it's, talked it's, about it's that. Nuking, it's nuking yeah. the fridge. You know, it's yeah. sort of like nuking the fridge. <laughs> it's Well, we talked about that because they add the slide whistle in his fall, yeah. which makes it, yes. it, it gives it that comic book reminder that, you know, this mm-hmm. is the world we're in. It's not yes. really something that he'll <laughs> die from. <laughs> no, but so as he is wandering the desert, um, yeah, the thing that for me is the most notable about that is what the camera's doing because we're in and out of focus and it's, it's handheld. It's, it's not steady. And it's giving us that sense of heat exhaustion, the, you know, the delirium, the delirium, everything. It puts us right there with Tony in the middle of the desert because, you know, it's, we've, we've got to create that sense of, of isolation and disorientation. I think choices Favreau made there does get that, very quickly accomplished to get us there in in the desert with Tony and the sense that it's not that he's been walking for a couple of minutes and he's feeling okay. It's you feel the weariness there. And I think that captures that really well. Yeah, right. Exactly. Re- whether it's been days or a half hour, you know? Yes. I, I think uh, that it works. Although it, it does make me wonder because there's a deleted scene that uh, that happened in a few episodes ago where it has Rhodey going back to continue searching. And so mm-hmm. we know Rhodey is out there, at least from the deleted scenes. We know yeah. Rhodey's out there. He's still trying to find his friend and everything. It, it did make me wonder. It's like, I can't imagine that Rhodey and his buddies are just flying around hoping to find him. I, I feel like what had to happen is they probably caught this strange like heat signature or something that popped up on their monitors and that, that 
was unexplained, which would have been, you know, the flight of the suit. And makes me think, oh, if yeah. that thing popped yeah. up, I can see the military going, hey, there's this this odd thing that came up over there. And that kind of pushed Rhodey and his team to say, hey, let's go over there and see if if that might be something that could be Tony. Yeah, the, you you have to think that uh, otherwise it's it's finding a, a Tony in a haystack out there in the desert. You know, the chances yeah. that they're just out scouting the desert because he's been gone for several months. I can't imagine that there is a routine of just, okay, everybody start our daily search for Tony Stark. Let's, you know, scan this, this, you know, section of the desert. So yeah. I, I think you're right that clearly, and that may, again, going back to his plan. I mean, Tony is a bright guy knowing if he gets himself up to a certain altitude, he's showing up on radar. That's exactly. going to draw attention. And that's going to get them in the vicinity of where he is. Now, of course he goes pretty much straight up. There's a slight arc to that. He's also, you know, not too far from where he was captured, I'm assuming. I mean, a significant distance. Well, he's still in the sand. It's not like he's made it to the mountains nearby, you know? So yeah. Right, exactly. So he also risks them finding him because they could easily, if there are any survivors, they, you know, oh, well, let's see. He went up there. He's over there. We can maybe get over there in a few hours. So there is a bit of a, a ticking clock as well. But what we do see is the rescue. And it's when we get into this you know, analysis like this, that I start thinking about these things. Uh, when you're in the theater, when you're watching this and you're caught up in the story, the fact that Tony crests that, that, that desert ridge and is standing there. And then all of a sudden these helicopters come over and I think those helicopters are really loud. Yeah. Those right. helicopters are really low to the ground. He would have heard them much, much sooner. It shouldn't have been a surprise to him of like, Hey, uh, cause they're coming up from behind him. So if those helicopters are coming in right behind you, yeah, he would have heard them, I think, before he got there. And I wonder, like, he would have turned around and been like, oh, okay, okay, guys, yeah, I, I see you. But again, it's that creating the sense of tension for the audience that if we can't see it, we can't hear it, it doesn't exist. And as they come over... Yeah, that's a whole yeah. film trope, right? Where Yes, uh, oh, yes, uh, and where it's, it's, it's off screen. This is not, they clearly right. would see that. This is not yes, the first time exactly. something like this has happened. It's happened in Indiana Jones films. It's happened oh, yes. all, you know, all through film history. If it's not in the yes. frame then it's not yeah. in their world. And it's not until yes. it, it pops into their frame. I mean, it's a it's a fantastic trope for horror movies. Oh, yeah. And uh, anytime you want to do some sort of a surprise. And I mean, you have that sound design, which is kind of nice. And you yes. feel like something is building. So there's like yes. the sound of yeah. this tension that's kind of building that, of course, builds into the sound of the helicopters coming flying right over the dune. But so it works really nicely. And it also does play in, I guess, to this kind of this delusion that Tony is potentially in as he's wandering where, I mean, if he is dehydrated and he's kind of in and out of focus of, of reality and stumbling through the desert, you could see him kind of at this place where he doesn't hear these helicopters and just kind of all of a sudden until he visually sees them, he's like, Oh, you know? So, I mean, who knows? It who knows? sort of, yeah, it sort of snaps him back into sort of like clear mindedness. Uh, yeah. Cause we've got that. It's a real sharp, Boom, the helicopters are there. Yeah. Yeah, it's a shift in tone. It, we've, we've definitely, we're at the rescue point at that. And that, it, there's a shift in his frame of mind. He's now, there's some relief. It's not, he's not facing imminent death. So it, it does work again. But yeah, it, it is definitely a trope that uh, a good director will take advantage of and, and use. And I think this is a great use of it to get to the, the rescue of Tony and he is so relieved to be see his his buddy Rhodey there showing up and I th I have to think it, to me it really shows the commitment of several months of a search seeing that signature and 
knowing that there's not any certainty that they would have that that's Tony. It's something to investigate, but it's in the area possibly where Tony is. So Rhodey's going to be there just on the off chance that it's either finding Tony or something related right. to Tony it shows that that commitment to his friend, well, which is, is, you know. Yeah. And I, and I think that likely again, because it's that strange signature coming from that mini yeah. arc reactor in his chest, that's kind of propelling the Mark one. It is probably a signature that they're not expecting and because of that, that probably clues Rhodey in, hey, this is something we should check out because if anyone's going to create a signature that none of us have seen before, it's going to be Tony. So that's the interesting piece about the arc reactor in his chest, right? Mm -hmm. Because I know pri the, the primary function of that is to stop the shards of metal from getting into his heart. So there's the magnet to, to prevent that. Yeah, right. But then it's also, it's also there to power the suit right sort of because right. he's got no it is he says so he he says you know okay because when he when yinsen when he's talking to yinsen earlier about how yeah. much energy it generates yinsen's like that could power your heart for 50 lifetimes mm -hmm. and he says or something really big for 15 minutes right exactly and so that's something that uh yeah because i i you know i know how it's you know we've got a magnet keeping things the the intricacies of getting that reactor and the wiring to power the suit and all that, which is, it's sort of like a steampunk suit. So it's like, how do you take, to me, it's like, let's let's hook up your dial-up modem to a Wi-Fi router. I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, the conversion of power to, you know, because this is all like what we see. And this, he's got flamethrowers. We see the, you know, it's sort of like chaining gear mechanisms in the leg. We do see that there's something on the back. There's a little spinning wheel and, and all those things. So, yeah, how he converts that that energy into the thrusters and all that again that's tony stark's genius that's that's what he does but to me it's as i've always sort of thought with the later suits it, it makes sense with this suit i was always like how does that device converting to that type of energy and power but again well and the real question is i mean you know did he i mean he obviously has a a, a hole cut in his shirt we see him wandering through the desert yes. in his tank top with the arc reactor like perfectly yeah. framed in the shirt so he obviously <laughs> has designed it so his shirt has a hole and snaps right over it but so then that that says to me so somehow i you know it's it's an odd element to just like because we also see it through the the mark one suit so it's yeah. is it like just touching the metal like how is it i mean is there a plug that also comes out that it plugs into things right like, it's it's yeah. a little odd how that kind of does all that work but um right yeah and it is as he is wandering the desert you have to think about yeah why is the shirt cut away i mean number one visual design sure, costuming all that it, it looks great but is there a functionality to that that there was yeah some type of interface that locked onto the out the outer surface of the arc reactor in his chest to power the suit and gosh out in a cave to have that precision to have that you know nicely tailored it's not just sort of like hacked a hole in there it's like oh it just fits right through there very nicely <laughs> right it's like, it's, nice it's like custom -made the hole's just small enough so when he pulls it over it just snaps under and just keeps the shirt framed yes. so nicely <laughs> It's, uh, it's very funny yes. the way that he's designed them. But yes, but it is, I mean, it is that iconic, I mean, that's what defines this character yes. is that sort of chest piece. Right. So, so you, you need it, you yeah. want it. And uh, yes, it, we got, we got to have really the nicely. look. But it, as you mentioned, we do have Rhodey finally finding him and, and uh, joining him and even throwing in a little dig, uh, which 
is is nice. Uh, you know, how is the fun? Oh, about the the fun V. Right. Yes. <laughs> Which I like a lot better than the line in the script. In the script, he says, "Saving your ass is getting to be a full time job." Which is, yeah. you know, it's a little, a little more crass, a little more. Uh, I don't know. It's it, it, there's a little bit more of that sarcastic tone, and I, I don't know something about the fun V. I think is just it, 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 it kind of is gives that sense of payoff for the line we had earlier about the fun V. It just there's a lot more fun going on with the line as it as it appears in the film. Yeah, it, it really gets to the sort of the the playfulness of their relationship that they can they can. As you say, it takes out sort of the sarcasm of that. It makes it more the relationship is yes, you're you're a pain in my ass, but I love you, I appreciate you, and that's that's the way Tony is. That's the way he expresses himself, and it's sort of Rhodey throwing that back at him. Yeah, works so much better than the the, the scripted line there. Uh, when they get there, though, I'm wondering about you know they they land the the choppers and they've got a lot of guys there in terms of. I didn't see now again it's a it's a quick shot but I would think if you think this is Tony you would have some medical guys there right away to take it and I didn't see you know I saw guys with guns I didn't see like you know where's where's the medic there to take care of Tony because if he's been captive for 2 months you would think he's not in good shape yeah and right right that was the one thing that I was looking and again it's you have a certain amount of time on on screen to get a certain amount of information is it essential? No, I'm sort of getting into nitpick territory here. And again, I'm not a military expert as far as what would likely happen on a rescue mission or anything like this, where you're going into you know hostile territory, who you're bringing bringing with you. Well, and there is the second helicopter that at the very end of the minute we do That's see true. it's kind of circling yeah. around. So maybe it's going to land, and maybe it's got a med- medevac sort of thing mm-hmm. going on with that one. I did think it was odd, though, that one of the military guys, when he comes running up, he's standing there and he's holding his gun, like pointed at Tony. And I'm like, why is he there doing that? I mean, the other one that that's kind of just past him, it it looks like he's on one knee and he's kind of pointing his gun away like he's keeping the area like, you know, protecting the perimeter. Why is this guy not doing that? Why is he standing there yeah. with his gun pointed at Tony? <laughs> I just don't get that. That's a strange little uh, element that throws me. Something that I've done a few times with uh, some of our guests as we go through cast members is I play the IMDb game with them. Okay. You've, you're familiar okay. with this, right? No, I am not. This is something new to me. So I- the IMDb game, you have to try to guess the four movies for any particular actor. You know how IMDb has the four that it says they're known for. Oh, known for. But they're oh, not okay. necessarily yeah. the the ones that are, are the best or the the most financially successful. It's kind of a strange list. And it's an algorithm that IMDb uses that people don't quite know. It's like, you know, figuring out Netflix's algorithms. And because it's IMDb, does this also include TV shows? It does, yes. Okay, because that's important for some it is, some actors that, that, that live in both worlds. Right, right. As we, we have here, I believe. So, well, so I'm okay. going to do one for you, so no cheating. Okay. We're going to look at Terrence Howard. Okay. So Terrence Howard, what would you say are the four films on his IMDb page that it says he's known for. Well, let's see. I think one is going to be, as I said, TV shows. Uh, what is it? Is it Empire? Is it a TV show that's on, I think, Fox that he is on? I would guess that one. Okay. I would say, oh, and I, oh my, I'm so bad with remembering who's been in what, if it's something that I haven't seen, but I know like, oh yeah, that's that movie. Like Hustle and Flow. I think was something that he was in. Okay. I'm just guessing. And I believe he was also in Crash. 
I think. Okay. I'm guessing on that one. And, oh, well, and then probably Iron Man. Well, you're three for four, so pretty, oh, pretty good. Oh, okay. Pretty good. I got a passing grade. Yeah. Okay. Um, the first film on his list is Hustle and Flow. So that's yes. that's where really okay. he kind of yeah. broke out as as somebody to keep your eyes on because he uh, did an incredible performance there and got an Oscar nomination out of it too. So the next one is Crash. So uh, okay. good job guessing that one. He was in okay. that the year before Hustle and Flow. And uh, then the third one is the film Four Brothers. Oh, well, I don't even know that. It's a, it's a film with Mark Wahlberg and it's a John Singleton film. Try to remember who else was in it. Tyrese Gibson, Andre Benjamin. And they're like four brothers who are like adopted brothers and their mother, their adopted mother gets killed in a robbery and the four of them go looking for the killers. Oh, so nope. Doesn't ring a bell. What year was that? 2005. Same year as Hustle oh. and Flow. Oh, okay. All right. And then Iron Man. You're so you're right with that okay. one. It's interesting because okay. I would have said Empire as well, since that's the TV show that he's you know quite a part yeah. of. But no, in fact, it was Four Brothers as the fourth one. And again, oh, this, okay. this is that strange IMDb, you know, <laughs> why this, not that sort of thing. There it is. All right. Yeah. Terrence Howard. So this is, of course, the Elantia Sand Dunes. We, we talked about that in the last episode. This is a great location in California that works really nicely when you're trying to get these sorts of shots. I can only imagine how awful it is, though, when the wind is blowing and when these helicopters are flying around. I feel like you're probably just getting sand everywhere. Oh, yeah. And then I have to think the the nightmare of shooting out in the desert of getting getting crew and equipment out there and that sort of limits your angles for shooting because when you set up you're disturbing the sand unless you've got you know special equipment to you know remove tracks footprints and all of that but again you can always shoot around things but i think sand's getting in everything yeah this is this, uh, not a location that i would want to be shooting out for a significant period of time because yeah it seems just completely uh, unforgiving environment and you've got yeah, the wind the heat and just sand everywhere but again it's I love, you know, finding a location like this where you can create the sense that you are absolutely in the middle of nowhere, that these places exist where you can, you know, shoot and be, there's nobody for, you know, hundreds of miles around. Yeah, right, uh, right. They create that illusion. Yes. No, it works nicely. And, it, you know, proximity wise, it's really close to the area they already were, kind of that lone pine area where they're shooting a lot yeah. of this Afghanistan stuff. It ended up working nicely to kind of fit in with all of that. So to that end, they were able to accomplish quite a bit of their production just by going to this particular area. So this is, as you said, this is sort of the, are we ending act one here, you say? is Pretty much, yeah. Finish up yeah. this minute with the rescue. We've gone through Tony and we've now got possibly, you know, a, a transformed Tony having gone through, you know, an extreme situation and now being being rescued and as this this minute ends and this is this is always one of my issues with doing the the minute of how things line up in a scene but this one ends like right there at the end of the rescue it's sort of like pretty much point yeah yeah, this this ends and he's now i think we have like a a a couple like a second or two of this shot (laughs) at the beginning of the next minute but otherwise yeah it actually works pretty nicely ending uh, ending minute 42 here so yeah Cool. Well, I don't have any other notes for this one. Any last thoughts? No, this was, uh, you know, there. this is one of those uh, unique moments where there's 
not a lot of the visual information to to dig into uh story-wise it's our it's our transition point but uh yeah I, that's about all i've got to say for this one well steve thank you so much for joining me on the show today oh no i like i said this is a thrill to be doing something a little bit different than i normally do over at the next reel it's nice to have uh, a hand in in helping out in a variety of different areas and uh Thank you for having me on. Do you have a place online where um, you want people to, or where people can chat with you if you want them to? Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Mr. MR underscore Steve 23. So you can find me there. And uh, that's where I try to, you know, have my movie Twitter presence out there. Um, so anybody that wants to follow me, I'm you sharing links and articles and following interesting uh, film feeds out there. So that's where people can find me online. Well, everybody, that is it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, make sure to subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at patreon.com slash thenextreel. Until next time, true believers. True believers.